Today's scripture reading is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 10 to 19. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods and the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. Uh, Paul Carlson, do you know his name and face? Uh, He became uh, famous for a sad reason, in 1964, he became a martyr for Christianity. And uh, in Congo, uh, he was executed by the Simba rebels. Uh, and his story is touching because uh, he had a choice to either escape to freedom or to stay with the natives that he had had a sense of calling to serve. Uh, and he chose to stay. And he was a lone missionary doctor for around 100,000 people. And he knew that his fate was probably imminent and it would not end well. And so here's a little excerpt from a letter he was able to get off to his wife and family uh, before he was executed. And he writes, my dearest Lois, his wife, Wayne, Lynn, mom, dad, and all, I have to go to Stanleyville. I do not know the future. I I do not expect to see you in this life again. (laughs) Tell everyone to labor harder for Christ for me. So I want to ask, what compels a man or a woman to be willing, gladly, to put themselves in harm's way for the good and life of others? There has to be some kind of compelling hope, some kind of beautiful vision that they're willing to pursue to the point of even spending their very own life. And that's why I want us to consider the thought, and and as the last leg of our vision, as we go into this new ministry year, I want us to consider pressing on with hope. All of us need that bright on fire hope, that potent hope to continue to press forward. And hopefully we have the right vision for life and it draws out goodness. It spurs us on to greater love and good works as it did in Paul Carlson's life. The past uh, two weeks and now today, we've just been combing through a little section of the Old Testament called Deuteronomy. 
and it's affectionately described as Moses's last sermons to the people of Israel before they would enter a physical promised land that God had promised to their forefathers, Abraham and so forth. And we've been following their story because as they are about to enter in this promised land, uh, there are timeless lessons and truths here. Yes, God was delivering the people of Israel at a real time in history into a real, concrete, physical, promised land. But there are also lessons here and insights for his people today, the church, God's final people, the church of Christ, and timeless uh, vision and principles for us to understand what vision God has set forth for his people. And so as we uh, are about to, or just as we're at the end of this section of scripture, I think we get this notion that we're called to press on with hope. And so I hope that as we work through this passage, uh, if you've come to Trinity Grace more than once and you've heard me preach more than once, you know that uh, I like to try to give you a summary of the, the sermon and uh, in the form of a prayer, hoping that the rubber of faith will meet the road of life for you because Christianity is at least a set of knowledge and a certain understanding in in your head, but it has to trickle down to your very being. And Christianity, uh, it it manifests, it it just culminates in a faith relationship with God, calling out to God from your heart and calling on his name. And so I hope that as we work through the passage, there'll be something stirring in your heart to want to talk to God by faith in an expression similar to this. Lord, Help me to press on with hope in your new city. We're going to unpack what we mean by that new city. And all the more during these times, as even our prime minister has officially said, we are entering a second wave. There can be lots of anxieties uh, about what this means for us. And so especially during these times in our city, in our nation, across the world, I hope that the church of Christ can be a beacon of a true and timeless hope. And so what I want to ask first of the text is, is God interested in cities? We, we said, and I'm hoping that your prayer will be, Lord, help me to press on with hope in your new city. What do we mean by that? And so I want to ask first, is God interested in cities? And the simple answer is yes. I want you to take in the thought, the idea that God has always had a city specifically a city in mind for his people. At the beginning of our service, uh, we were reminded that God is calling, and he's calling a people to himself. He's longing for a relationship with a people, and for his people, he has always had in mind a place, a home, or a city. We go back to creation. In the first human beings, Adam and Eve, God prepared a garden city. It was a beautiful garden, And God's hope was that Adam and Eve, as they continued to proliferate and multiply, that the whole earth would become a beautiful cultivated garden. Imagine that, the whole earth being just a paradise. As we go on to God's people 2.0, if Adam and Eve were 1.0, and 2.0, the people of Israel, even here we pick up in today's passage that God makes it clear that his desire for his people is to give them a land. These are all synonyms, a land, a country, a city, but a dwelling place, a home. So I want you to observe with me as we get into the text now, verse 10, 
I want you to first notice, and when. And it's important that we always just carefully comb through God's word and we don't let anything pass us by. And so even these two common words, and when, we throw these words around all the time just in our daily conversations. But even that word, and, it signifies this continual, this, this continuation of God continuing to unfold his story for his people. And right in that little word that we just look over so easily, I see God's faithful heart to continue unfolding his plan for his people. And when, when is a word of assurance here. God will do this. And in fact, he did this. This is history that has happened. And God did provide the physical promised land that he had promised his people Israel. And so this, even the simple word when, it opens up to us the character of God. That he is steadfast and certain. And as we sang earlier, that he is indeed a promise keeper. And so God has always had in mind for his people a home, a place, a city. And as we continue to read the description here, when the Lord God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, and here it is, the specific description, with great and good cities. The word great there, it's quantitative. It's describing the size, that these are sizable cities. And the word good there is the same word for good used uh, to describe God looking out on his finished creation and saying this is very good. This is a qualitative word. So both quantitatively, quantitatively great and qualitatively beautiful, pleasant, good. And God's desire is to provide a home for his people. When we fast forward to the New Testament And Hebrews is a wonderful letter that explains a lot of the Old Testament. And Hebrews explains, for he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Again, this notion of city. Now, when God came to Abraham, he promised him a new land. But here again, we see a synonym, land, city. And even as Abraham saw that land, and then his descendants were given this physical promised land, What Hebrews is explaining is that even Abraham, by faith, knew that this physical address and and postal code was not it, was not the final vision that God had in mind. And so even Abraham, by faith, he was looking forward to an eternal city who has an unshakable foundation. Our cities are great cities in this world from Uh, financial foundations to actual geographic rock foundations if your city is sitting on you know a, a fault line just all our foundations are shaky but Abraham was looking forward to by faith a city whose foundation is unshakable because the designer and builder is God and Hebrews goes on to explain of the saints of old In addition to Abraham, but as it is, they, the saints of old, desire a better country. So then again, a synonym, country, city, home. And Hebrews explains so clearly that it is a heavenly one. Not here on earth, but a new creation, a new city that will be inaugurated and last forever in eternity. Jesus calls it the kingdom of God. 
And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God because he's calling a people to himself, for he has prepared for them a city. Just one more description. And when we go to the final vision in Revelation that God gives us of what his people, the church of Christ, can look forward to, just as a side note, last Sunday, a good friend asked, Albert, what does vision have to do with the Bible? And I think it has everything to do with the Christian faith. God gives us a picture of what to look forward to. Of course, our vision as a church, it can't just be some fanciful, heartwarming vision that we make up for ourselves. No, God has left us his vision for his people in his revealed word. And this is the final one. Then I saw, right? It's a vision. He's seeing something, a preferred picture of the future, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw what? The holy city. See, God has a place in his heart for this thing called a city. A new Jerusalem. God's city 2.0. 1.0 was the garden. 2.0 was this promised land that he gave to his people Israel. And now 3.0, the final version, is a new Jerusalem. We know that that's a.k.a. the church church of Christ gathered together and it was coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband so I want to ask now I hope you see it that that God has always had a place in his heart for a city a dwelling place for his people why are our great cities here on earth then not good enough Toronto is a beautiful city Uh, U.S. News and World Report, BAV Group, and the Wharton School of Business from the University of Pennsylvania, they put out a report every year evaluating the top 80 countries across a range of categories from economic influence, military might, education, quality of life. And Canada, Canada comes out the number one desired country to live in across the world. And so Canadians today, you can be proud of that, that you live in the most desired country to live in. But even our great nation, Canada, our great, nation, our great city, Toronto, uh, another firm, A.T. Kearney, every year they release the top uh, cities index. And consistently, the top three have always been New York, London, Paris. And this year, the fourth is Hong Kong, uh, or sorry, 2019, Tokyo. And Toronto has always been sitting in good company this year, Uh, We are 17th in the world. We are an incredibly uh, just beautiful and and just international city. When I was preparing for the church plan, uh, we were 16th about five years ago researching Toronto. I think we dropped to 17th because we didn't win the Raptors championship this year. (laughs) But nevertheless, we are a great city. But I want to ask the self-reflective and honest question, why are our great cities not good enough? If you're Canadian, this past week, the throne speech was given. And uh, I read reviews from both left-wing and right-wing. And both of them, they generally had the evaluation that there were a lot of good, lofty ideas but not very lacking in specifics and details. Of course, the right had even more pointed criticisms. But 
Justin Trudeau even saying he prorogued the government because he needed to completely reset the Canadian government agenda because who knew we would be facing this kind of health and financial crisis. But the point is, even as the number one desirable country to live in Canada is scrambling and doing its best, there's so many things wrong with our country. If we are willing to open up our eyes and as much beauty and good as there is, there's still so much uh, just growing up to do as a nation and imperfections, injustice, and, and uncertainties. And so even our great cities are not good enough ultimately to solve all our problems. But Scripture gets into it actually. And so I want to show you from Scripture this first idea, why are great good cities not good enough in today's passage? I want to show you that because our greatness as we, as humans, establish greatness, accomplish greatness, and erect these and found these beautiful, great cities, it's always accomplished at someone else's expense. Now, I'm going to have a very honest uh, Christ follower moment here with you because, and, and some Christians watching today might be uncomfortable with what I'm going to observe. But let's look at the text, verse 10, and God makes it very plain through Moses that this beautiful promised land that they're about to inherit, these great and good cities that you did not build. Houses full of all of good things that you did not fill or build. And cisterns that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. On the surface, we have to be honest that one thing God is saying here through Moses is, you're going to be blessed because I'm going to take other people's blessings and all their hard work, and you're going to receive it. Yes, they had to go in and fight and, and, and possess the land. They had to do their part. But ultimately, they were taking other people's hard work and enjoying the benefits of it. See, the point here, what God is teaching here in this phase of, of God unfolding his story in this, what we'll call just the, the season of the law of God, and all the more reminding humanity that we're all, we've all fallen down the staircase of life from God and His righteousness, and we're all trying to claw back and, and, and do our part to work hard, to be good people, to have happiness, to, to whatever it is for us that we define as climbing back up to God, it always comes at an expense. And God wants his people to understand all the good in your life, it comes at an expense. What I learned in my eighth grade geography class is true. Commoner's law is true. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And that's just another way of expressing how God has created this universe. That there is this covenant of works where someone has to work righteousness and there is an expense. There's a cost to being found right before God. Now, on the other hand, this is grace. This is an undeserved gift from God to his people. But then God, he gives another reason. And so I'm getting ahead of myself. So we think of our great cities here in Toronto. Just even think as one example, all of you who are fortunate enough to have a job right now, you have a job because someone else got looked over. Someone else did not get chosen 
for the position that you have. Yes, I acknowledge you worked hard, you studied, you have your skill sets, you developed them, you have your relational skills, your interpersonal skills, and you, you just wooed the interviewer and so forth, so forth. You did your part. But our blessings always come at an expense. Now, God also warns his people, then when you have this abundance, when your hearts are full, your stomachs are full, you're enjoying that rich wine from the vineyards and the grapes there. Here's the idea that I want you to take in. In our abundance, we arrogantly, narcissistically, and greedily forget. This is the flow of our hearts how easily we begin to take credit and our heads become bigger thinking that I did this. And we forget that everything is originally from God in the first place. And so we see it in Scripture here, God's words through Moses. Verse 11, And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Um, I know I'm at risk using this person as an illustration, but, but let's just take these words of his on the surface, not for everything else of his story, I'm not trying to politicize uh, something right now, but I just happened to catch up on, uh, you know, the, the Lakers are making the finals again and, and just basketball superstar LeBron James. <laughs> And one thing that I do like about him is he has this I promise campaign. And for all his stardom, all his success, he started in poverty in a small town, Akron, Ohio. And he has made a, just a resolution for his life. It's part of his branding. I promise to never forget where I came from. And so that keeps him in his heart very humble. And he's trying to do as much in perception with what he's been given. Now, here's something similar. God, he says, when you are full, what does he add on at the end? Basically, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget that you were slaves, that I delivered you. I saved you. Consider this thought. In our successes, we easily forget that we still live in a broken world with broken systems. Talked about how everything, our accomplishments, they come at an expense and, and where on the surface there are very rich and beautiful parts of our city and our nation and there are rich people enjoying life and, and even during these pandemics they have a good cushion of protection financially and socially and so forth. But there's this dynamic that always happens through history in every city, that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, that injustice continues to, to cycle through history. And so in our successes, we easily forget, as we are comfortable, that we still live in a broken world with broken systems. In the midst of our successes, we become insulated from the fact that poverty and injustice continue. And we forget in our successes that at some point along the way, we experienced as well an injection of some form of grace that saved us from a broken system. Meaning, for those of us who started with 
a good hand. We didn't choose what family we were born into. We didn't choose what country we were born into. And there are certain people that it wasn't their choice, but they're starting with a, in a very difficult position. But in our successes, success has this kind of, kind of um, just inebriating effect, insulating effect that we forget. We forget that all our goodness in life, all our blessings, it's ultimately from God in the first place, just as he was going to give his people these cities and cisterns and wells and vineyards that they did not dig, they did not build. So remember, we're answering the question right now, why are our great cities not good enough? Because they're built on a certain uh, injustice where, and at other people's expenses, and where ultimately still the, 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 the sweeping trend is that the people who benefit, benefit more, and the people who don't benefit, they kind of stay stuck where they are. So let's look to Christ. How does Christ differently, radically differently, build his new city? Now, just to make it as concrete as possible as I can in this moment, when we say Christ's new city, we're ultimately, going back to Revelation, we're, we're ultimately talking about eternal reality. There will come a point in history where God brings this portion of history, of this earth and universe existing, to its conclusion. And the bookmark there, the, the, the page that will be turned, is God's judgment. And after God's judgment, God will inaugurate his new creation, his final new city. He will build it. And he will welcome all those who have placed faith in Christ to enjoy that good life as he always meant it to be, that redeemed life in perfection and glory forever, in perfect love relationship with him and with one another. That's the new city that we're ultimately talking about. But for the church today, for the Christ follower, there's something in between. We're also called to now begin pursuing that new city, to begin building that new city according to Christ's ways and by the power of his spirit and sticking to his throne speech, the gospel, scripture. Now the first thought I want you to take in is this, that Christ builds his great and good new city at his expense. At his expense. If you think of that staircase of life, and oftentimes uh, we step down, the, the step that we step on to get up is another person at another ex person's expense. But what Christ has done is he's come down from heaven all the way to the bottom, and he's willing to build this at his expense. He, he's going to reverse what the people of Israel had to do, that it was at another person's expense for their blessings and their goodness. Now, today's not the time to get into it, but just as a quick explanation, God explains clearly, well, first of all, the, the, the fundamental truth is that even those blessings of the other nations, they were from God, but those people refused to recognize the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the God who provided everything, and they were enemies of God, and so God, being God, he has every right to take 
and to give and take away. But we see here, looking at the text now, verse 13, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. You see, one expense that the people of God had to pay was their obedience. They had to find the strength to stay in the blessing of God, to continue to fear God, to serve Him, to obey Him, to be careful to obey every stipulation that God was laying out through the law of Moses. On uh, just a quick plug, if you're really interested in that, there's going to be a new community this year that focuses on that law, Leviticus. And so it's not too late to sign up for that. But the point is, you look back on history, and God's people 2.0, Israel, they failed. And they couldn't pay the price. They didn't have enough to pay that full expense to be found right with God. So what does Jesus do? He comes down, and he's the one who is able to pay that expense that no human being can. To obey perfectly and fully. But there's another way that that Jesus builds his new city. Whereas our great cities are built at the expense of others, and exploitation a lot of times, I want you to notice verse 15. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. This is a clue to how Christ intends to build his new city. Now, this word jealous, this requires some explanation. Um, One of my uh, just trivial pet peeves in life is people misusing the word envy versus jealousy. Most of us say, oh, I'm jealous of this person because they have. And what you really mean is you're envious, okay? Envy is when you want something of someone else's that you don't have. And jealous as well now can have two different meanings. The, the petty meaning, and oftentimes we uh, use it of people, that they're just petty and they're so angry that they can't get something. And, and so it's this picture of just immaturity. But that's not what we're talking about here. That's not what, how Moses is using this word to describe God and his character. See, there is a good jealousy, a healthy jealousy. If there is a husband and a wife, and uh, another woman is trying to seduce a husband, then that wife should have a healthy jealousy that is stirred up, and vice versa. If there's a man trying to seduce a man's wife, then there's a healthy jealousy that should stir up, meaning you are passionate to not see you lose the affection and love of the one that you love. That's a healthy jealousy that that you are, in in the best sense, protective because you do not want to see the affections of the one that you love being uh, strayed away. And that's what God being a jealous God means here. He is a deeply loving affectionate husband, a father. A parent can be jealous for their child as the child is navigating all, as they see more and more of the world that their heart would not go astray. 
It's that kind of healthy jealousy. And so the clue here is the way that God, that Christ will build his new city is by winning our affections. Jesus is about to do something in history, and he came in history to demonstrate the extent of his affections and love for his people. The willingness to lay down his life at his expense, that he will just leave no expense, that that everything is worth it, his life is worth it, to convince people that God truly does love them. Christ builds his great and good new city by winning our heart's affections. It's not just by, we don't enter the the kingdom of God, the country of God, the city. We don't become citizens by paying a certain dowry or a certain application fee. And and a lot of, most countries, immigration policies are merit-based, that you have to be good enough, you have to have certain skills. But the way Christ brings his people into his city is through love. He is wanting people who are just willingly, who are willing to be convinced in the depths of their heart, this is why I want to be part of God's country. This is why I want to become a citizen in Christ's kingdom, because I see the extent of how he has loved me, how he has paid every expense from himself. See, a great truth that we have to understand for everyone, Christ followers and and people haven't placed their faith in Christ yet. Grace, don't misunderstand grace. Grace is expensive. Grace comes at an infinite cost. When we say, and when Paul says that we are saved by grace and it is a free gift from God, it's free because we don't have to pay anything. But God and Christ himself has paid his very own life so that grace can be afforded. Grace is not a handout. And so that's a difference between socialism and Christianity. And you see in the New Testament, I love Paul in 2 Corinthians 15, I believe, verse 10. And and he says, I worked harder than all the other apostles. But it wasn't me. It was God's grace. And his grace was not without effect. Yes, we receive this free gift from God, but grace has an effect in us. And it causes us to work harder, to labor more joyously, to have a happy duty by happy choice in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's how Christ builds his great and good new city. First, he wins our affections. And from that place of happy duty by happy choice, we want to continue to be a part of building Christ's kingdom. So practically speaking then, how do I press on with hope and build up Christ's new city. Now, just to make all of us honest, if you truly hope in something or someone, you will take practical steps toward that hope. Okay? So we got to walk the talk. And so Christ follower, if you truly hope in Christ and his new city, then we'll live that out. There will be actions in our lives that demonstrate that. So first... Let's define city. What do we mean by city? City, trying to boil it down as simply as possible. A city equals just four ingredients. There's community, there's people, 
This could easily be a country as well. But, and then there's commerce. There's uh, an exchange of goods and services that goes on. People are paid. People are benefiting. And then there's a culture that comes from that city. And often cities have many layers of culture. But there's always a code in a city as well, a law. And you put these things together, and that creates a city. So for the Christ follower then, building Christ's new city is being and doing community, commerce, culture, and following ultimately Christ's code. But here's what differentiates us ultimately. Motivated by Christ and his grace. As we live in this existing city, whatever city you're living in, Toronto, New York, whatever country. Now, this motivation increasingly for me, at least personally, my own walk with Christ, is the most important differentiation between me and and a non-believer. Why? Because let's be honest, when we live in a socialist country like Canada, and you live in a socialist city like Toronto, you can't compete with the government. Our, Our city is pretty wonderful on the surface, in terms of all the programs and community centers and all the money and taxes being gathered from the whole population, it's difficult for the church to compete with that in helping the poor and trying to show benevolence and so forth. And all the more in our day and age, at least in the West, it's trendy to be humanitarian, for corporations to set aside big chunks, if not millions and billions of dollars, to put towards uh, humanitarianism and, and those kind of causes and helping with the poor and so forth. Now, it doesn't excuse us as the church to do our part individually and corporately as the church and individual Christ followers to do our part to build up this new city, to do good, to work with the poor and so forth. But my point is at the end of the day, it's the motivation that will differentiate us. It's the motivation and the starting place in our hearts that Christ will judge in the very end. And so these instructions to God's people 2.0, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God. This was the requirement for them to stay in the land and to continue to enjoy this promised land. And this still holds true to you and me today as Christ's church. Now the difference is, our staying in the blessing of God doesn't depend our, on our performance of diligently keeping. God knows we cannot perfectly keep his law. But that's why we need Christ. That's why we need him paying the very expense from himself. And he redeems our faulty good works, our imperfect obedience. But nevertheless, the affection of Christ needs to create a happy duty by happy choice, by the power of the Spirit to continue to follow God's ways and, and to try to, uh, to be passionate about learning increasingly what is Christ's code. And these instructions to God's people 2.0 is still true for you and me today in verse 18. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, that you may go in and take possession of the good land. This, for you and me now as the church, how it applies is so that you and I can be welcomed on the other side of the river that one day. That you and I will be welcomed home to our final home, to that final new city 
because it goes well with us that we have placed our faith in Christ and he redeems our faulty good works. So very practically speaking then, be a blessing. Be a blessing. We say here at Trinity Grace Church, we want to see, we envision God's grace overflowing first into a new culture, how we look out on the world. And then as we have more and more people who look out on the world through Christ and the gospel, then we form a new community. And this new community seeks to build Christ's new city. And practically speaking then, just to summarize it, have the attitude in your life, I want to be Christ's blessing. Now, just two more very practical ways for you to live that out. First, uh, reflect on your serving shape. Okay? This one has stuck with me from the moment that I uh, learned this acronym. And it means S stands for your spiritual gifts. H stands for your heart or your passion, what you're naturally passionate about. A stands for your abilities that you've picked up through life experience, through the job or whatnot. P stands for your personality. You might be very much naturally a people person, so you can do things that involve lots of talking and interaction, or maybe you're quiet and behind the scenes. And E stands for your experiences. You take all that together, and and it'll, it'll draw out a certain shape that God has created you for. But also, one thing that I'm excited to introduce today is what we want to call a new giving, giving platform. We want our people at Trinity Grace Church to realize that our finances aren't the only way to give. Uh, One brother in the church, Hugh Kim, he's very passionate about this. And he wants, he's passionate that we as Christ followers, you know that service got junk in Toronto? And I see ads for it. I've called them up once and actually quite expensive to use them. But but we, we just see our overflow, our abundance as junk. If you're a Christ follower and you realize that everything is God's grace in the first place, God's grace is never junk. Even if it's something that is, you can't use anymore, I hope that you'll see with me that that is not junk. That is an overflow. And that is something that can be a blessing to others. And so we're going to try from a very simple, it's going to start as a WhatsApp uh, group chat. We're going to try to build this up very simply and grassroots organically. But for people, and interestingly, in the past six months, about five to six people have come to me, hey, Albert, I have this that I'd like to give away as a blessing, or I found, I have this job posting, and I'd like other people in the job, uh, in the church to know about it. And so we're going to start up this platform where people can overflow, not their junk, but the abundance of God's grace in their lives. And so even, there will be, uh, it's permissible to put something up for a certain price. But we want to even redefine. It's not selling something. We want to be able to post things as, I want to overflow this gently used professional volleyball for $40. And then there can be some back and forth. Well, I can give this or that. But all the proceeds, you need to agree to be a part of this, that the agreement is all the proceeds will go to our new city initiatives, our new city budget, uh, and the donees that we are giving to. 
all the proceeds will go to there. But also it could be something as you want to bless someone and there doesn't have to be monetary value to it. But you know what? I'm a music teacher and I want to set aside for someone, if you know someone who can't afford, uh, I'm happy to give five lessons. Complimentary. That's the idea. I hope that excites you. To wrap this up, Paul Carlson, one thing he wrote as well, referring to his hope in Christ's new city and, and the reason why he was willing to put himself in harm's way. He says, we've got to have places for people to learn in, to believe in. We know his heart was ultimately thinking of Christ's new city and trying with his energy, with the affection that Christ had poured out on him to begin to bring that to reality just one step at a time in the ways that he could, in the ways that he knew God was calling him to. I hope it's on your heart. Lord, help me to press on with hope in your new city.